first. If you're excited to be alive today, can you give Jesus one big praise? Absolutely. Hey, I'm honored and excited to be able to bat as the leadoff man for our new series, Strong in Broken Places. Because how many know you only need to live life about 15 years to figure out that at some area of your life, you are what? Broken. That was a really good spot for you to look at the person next to you. Just come on, give them one look right in their face and tell them, I know, I know. I know. Nope, you're not looking at them. You're looking at me. Come on, turn around behind you real quick. Tell them, I know you're broken. I know you're broken. Uh, however, we believe that God allows us to become stronger as we dive into our relationship with him. And I'm excited to be able to help us to unpack what week one looks like together as we talk about becoming strong after seeing brokenness in our relationship with God. Uh, theologians have this thing that they mention of the theology of first mentions. Theology is just the study of God. And if you want to find out what the purest form of something is based upon the subject matter, you go to the first spot where it's mentioned. So today we're going to find ourselves in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings today, where we'll unpack what it looks like to become strong, even walking through challenges in our relationship with God. Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. What God does here for Adam is he gives him a set of instructions of how to tend to the creation that he entrusted into Adam's care. God takes five days to create everything in preparation for day six when he introduces his greatest and best creation of all time, and that is humanity. This is a really good spot in the message for you to look at your neighbor again and just say, I know you are one of God's greatest creations. Yep, yep that's your spouse. You ought to give him a quick kiss too while you're at it. Go ahead. If that's not your spouse, do not kiss them. God is very clear, five days to create everything in front of Adam in preparation for day number six. And God then gives Adam, not a suggestion, but a command. Hey, Adam, I want you to tend to the garden. You take care of it, watch over it. I've given you dominion, responsibility, freedom. Eat what you'd like. There's only one place you should not go and eat. And Adam does what many of our children do, those of us who are parents or maybe you babysat before. You tell them not to. All right, this side is a little quiet. I'm going to talk to you then. You tell them not to. And the very thing you said not to do, is the first thing that they chose to do. Okay, I see. Y'all got some kids too. Come on. <laughs> Danielle and I are raising a seven-year-old daughter and almost a four-year-old son. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, no matter how well I communicate, and I'd like to think that I am a good communicator of instructions and information, 
However, I feel like I strike out at least 17 times a week because the thing that I said not to do is the very thing that they find themselves doing. Adam in the garden, taking care of the garden. And I'd like to go on record today in this room and City First anywhere and just say that I have no problem with Eve. Even I, we're good. Why, why would you say that, Kyle? She, she has a conversation with the serpent. The serpent deceives her. She eats a piece of the fruit off of the tree that God said not to eat the piece of fruit off of, and she breathes to tell about it. Why don't you have a problem with Eve, Kyle? Very simple. God didn't give the instruction to Eve. <laughs> Somebody is feeling that right there. I'm here. I'm here for it. I want that same energy. You ready? I do have an issue with Adam. Adam sees Eve eat a piece of fruit from the tree and breathe to talk about it. Adam then makes one of the worst assumptions in human history that if it's okay for Eve, must be all right for me. And he takes that same piece of fruit with the first bite mark and he adds one to it. Justifying by saying, God said we would surely die. Yet Eve is still alive. I've now bitten into the piece of fruit myself. And I'm still alive too. Maybe God got it wrong. Adam then finds himself in a scenario where scripture says immediately he feels shame and naked. And in Genesis 3 and 10, God begins to have a conversation with Adam where he goes, hey, during the cool of the day, he'd come down and they'd have their own life group together. Only this time, Adam is nowhere to be found. Genesis 3 and 10, God is asking now, Adam, where are you? Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. Parents, grandparents, aunties, uncles, babysitters, we all would go on record today and say, anytime children are hiding, it is not a good thing. <laughs> Adam, where are you? God, I heard you coming down to hang out. I hid. I was afraid. I'm a little naked. Leads me to this thought right here. When God finds Adam hiding in the garden, this thought right here 
It shows that disobeying God results in us feeling distanced from him. See, everything was good until Adam decided to go out on a limb, do what he thought was best. He, he had every reason to just listen to the instruction that God gave. We read scripture earlier in Genesis chapter two, God commanded Adam. He didn't suggest, he commanded. Isn't it interesting? Let's just talk for a second. Isn't it interesting that sometimes the commands of God get communicated to us like they're suggestions? Maybe that's just me. I don't know. That's why I'm in therapy. <laughs> but it's in this moment that Adam had every opportunity just to do the thing he was what? Asked to do. But now he's created distance in his relationship with God. Here we go. Not because God moved, but because he did. You ever been in a season of life before where you feel like you have some distance between you and God? It's in these moments now for the believer and follower, the responsibility comes to lean in and ask God, God, where is it? Here we go. Not that you moved. Where did I move away from you? Because, you know, God asks us to approach dating relationships with a certain standard, and then we like to ask the question, well, how far is too far? There was a student pastor, students used to ask me that question all the time, and I look at them, I go, if you have to ask that question, it's already too far. It's funny, we... We'll apply that principle to those who we believe are a little bit more immature than us, but in our adult lives, we find ourselves even asking that same question as well. God, this is the thing that you asked me to do with my time, my talent, and my treasure. But what about, maybe can I, you know I'm gonna get it right the next time, Lord. Disobedience creates distance. And then Adam decides that disobeying isn't enough. Let's just add more to the equation. With this second thought here, Adam, he refused to take personal responsibility. And refusing to take per personal responsibility for our actions will always damage our relationship with others. What Adam was experiencing was that he had this brokenness now that shows up in the vertical relationship between he and God. God made a command, Adam made an assumption, and now we find ourselves with brokenness and sin introduced to humanity. But then Adam doubles down, wouldn't take personal responsibility. Because of it, it now affects the vertical relationship between Adam and his creator and Adam and all of the horizontal relationships connected to him. Please understand that if you find yourself in challenging moments in your horizontal relationships with others, the very first place to go is not to the horizontal relationships, it's to find out where am I missing it in the vertical. Yeah. I don't want to step on the weeks that we're about to walk into, but let's just be honest. Other people are not the problem. 
And sometimes the greatest problem is that we don't see ourselves as the problem. Somebody's like, that's a little harsh, Pastor. I know, I know. It's a little bit of truth. Let's all eat it together. Adam, then here's this conversation, this question from God. Adam, verse 11, who told you that you were naked? Then God answers the question for Adam. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Hey, Adam, there's only one way you figure out that you don't have any clothes on. Shame, brokenness. You went somewhere you weren't designed to go. You participated in something you weren't designed to do. Now you're experiencing something you never expected to have. This is what sin does. Sin gets us to doubt the goodness of God and underestimate the badness of its consequences. Here, here, here. God asked Adam this question, and Adam doesn't just dig himself a hole. He begins to throw the dirt on top of himself. Verse 12, the man replied to God, here we go. It was the woman... I'm trying to find out which side is safe to finish this sentence. <laughs> I'm going to stay right here. It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Hey, I've only been married 12 years, but I've been married long enough to know that's a terrible answer right there. <laughs> Like, clearly, he needs to go back to marriage counseling. <laughs> he needs to get into a marriage life group. Like, Adam, what are you doing? The woman you gave me. You remember, it was God that actually said, hey, Adam, it's not good that you be alone. So he creates the opposite gender to complete him. The finality of him not being alone, that he has God as his father and Eve as his wife. But when you create distance and don't take responsibility, what used to be a blessing now becomes something to blame. The woman, wait, you gave me. James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from above. God, our Father, and Adam got so distant away, trying to find a way to justify his brokenness by way of sin, that he not only blames Eve, but he also blames God. I'm, I'm a dad that's in progress right now. I don't always get it right. But one thing that I do understand is that even when my children go astray, 
mess up. Like, I'll give you an example. I don't know what gets into the mind of kids sometimes. Can any parent say amen to that right there? I, I, don't, I don't know what gets into the mind of kids sometimes, but they do stuff that just makes you go, who created you? <laughs> Where'd you come from? <laughs> I never forget walking out in the dining room one day and our daughter Savannah was in the dining room and she was painting. Only she was using her mashed potatoes and gravy on my wall. However, at no point in the discussion, and I'd love to tell you that my tone was in the same decibel level that it is right now, and that would be totally incorrect. <laughs> but at no point in the discussion was I done with my child. I just needed her to understand this is not how it goes. Can we be honest in this room in City First anywhere and just say, although we outgrow the days of using mashed potatoes as an art project, there are times in our lives where we still do things that are seemingly, how can I say this, immature. And for the believer and follower, we have a choice about how we handle our brokenness. Are we going to double down and blame? You put the blame where it is that you would normally put the blame. Or are we going to say, hey, God, I messed up. I need you. Because God's desire is not that our brokenness would separate us from him. If anything, God's desire is that our brokenness would lead us to a place of remembering that there is a God-sized void on the inside of every one of us that cries out every day to get back to a deeper and personal relationship with its creator. Simply put, the problem Adam created, Jesus came and solved. Yes, he did. Even in Genesis 3, for the sake of time, you can read it this week, God promises that although, serpent, you will bruise his heel, he will crush your head. Who's the he? The seed of the woman. Who is he talking about? Jesus, who would be born through the Virgin Mary and enter into time and space. Paul says in Corinthians, he who knew no sin would become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God and be made whole again in relationship with our creator. The problem Adam created, Jesus came and solved. Yeah. This is why Jesus can't be plan B for creation. Jesus was plan A all along because God knew that even on our best days, we're still humans at best and we're still gonna cuss folks out sometimes. Okay, y'all quiet, I'm gonna go talk to them. We're still gonna have attitudes that are less than stellar. We're still gonna blame others. We're still gonna get ourselves caught in predicaments that we should not be in and we know better. Even in the midst of all this, Jesus says that I came for those who are not well because those who are well don't need a physician, but those who are sick in their sin are the ones that need someone to come and do for them what they could never do for themselves. We can become strong 
in broken places. Reminds me of this art form called kintsugi. Kintsugi is based upon the principle that you take broken pieces and then you run valuable metal in the cracks where the broken pieces are to bring the broken pieces back together. They take, artists would take shards of pottery or dishes that would normally be discarded and they would run gold or silver down the cracks and crevices of the broken pieces to bring them back together again. The cool thing is that what used to be broken with no value is now whole with great value because someone saw something in the broken pieces that said, I can salvage what someone else would discard. Yeah. If this is the case with art and pottery and dishes, how much more is it when we as the clay allow our lives to remain in the hands of the potter, in the hands of the one who puts us back together again, in the hands of the one who doesn't see us through the filter of our failures, but sees us through the perspective of our purpose. And it's the purpose that he placed on the inside of us from day number one. Ephesians tells us that we are his masterpiece created, here we go, with the workmanship that he saw and he desired. If this is so, there is no brokenness that he will not come and add value to if you invite him into the season of brokenness where? you are. That's why Andrew's story in the video we watched earlier was so powerful because he decided to take a courageous next step and hop into a freedom group so he could get out of his hangups and he could get out of the things that were causing him to believe that he wasn't who God had called and created him to be. And this is a moment for you and I to lean in today and say, God, there's at least one broken space in my life that I need you to remind me of the value that you place, not the failure I'm trying to run away from. It's in this moment here that we find ourselves in a spot where although Adam's response was to run from God, this has not been all of humanity's response to God. I believe I'm in a room today and with those who are watching City First Anywhere where you would say that my brokenness is actually the thing that got my attention, that ran me in the direction of my Savior. You ain't the only one. Matthew chapter 26 tells us this story about a specific woman. The Bible says this in verse 6 of Matthew 26, while Jesus was in Bethany. Other translations say Bethany, the home of where Lazarus was. You remember Lazarus, right? Dead and stinking in a grave, and Jesus calls him back out. So Jesus has got a little bit of a, of a resume in Bethany. He finds himself, Jesus, in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper. Other translations of the gospel say Simon who used to be a leper. Why? Because Simon had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life forever. But I love that scripture still identifies him as Simon the leper. Why do you love it, Kyle? I love it because it reminds us that the story of who we used to be 
is not to be forgotten because it's the platform that God uses to let a lost and dying world know that there is still hope on your hopeless days as well that there is still healing for the lame and the leper, that there is still healing for those who are navigating through some of the greatest tragedies that life can bring. And if we run from our story, we miss an opportunity for Jesus to go, look what they used to be, but look who they are now. Yeah. Jesus in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, And a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, another translation makes it very clear who the disciple was, Judas Iscariot. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold. I'm sure, Judas, because you want to skim a little bit more off the top, right? Could have been sold at a high price. Historians tell us that this box of perfume was the equivalent of almost a year's worth of wages. Could have been sold at a high price and given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And when she poured this perfume on my body, she did this to prepare me for burial. And truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Please understand, for this woman to walk into a dinner party where Jesus is and a group of men, it's it's very uncouth. This this, this culture in this day and time, they, they were not friendly to women, especially this woman. Other translations of this same story throughout the Gospels actually tell us that some of the bystanders who were watching this take place looked at Jesus and said, if you knew the woman who was doing this to you, as if Jesus didn't already know. But what this woman caught that I think you and I can catch in our broken spaces was a snapshot. A snapshot of who she was and how broken she'd become until Jesus walked into the picture and said, I see something different in you than you see in yourself. Some historians suggest that this may have actually been Mary Magdalene who Jesus had delivered from over a handful of demon spirits. So she was well acquainted with what darkness would have looked like in this day and time in her life. She made her way through a dinner party with a bunch of judgmental men all around and that did not stop her. She walked up to where Jesus was. She broke this box over his head. She cried and she cleaned his feet, his dusty, dirty, travel-worn feet with her tears and her hair. Very undignified. Proverbs even tells us that a woman's hair is her glory. And she said that I will take my glory and I will allow it to be in front and humble myself and worship my Savior. Why do you do this, Mary? Because I take personal responsibility for her who I used to be, but now Jesus has found me where I was and changed my life forever. So there's nothing that is too great for me to give to him and there's nothing that stands in the way from me worshiping him in spirit and in truth because I remember who I was.
was when he came and found me. I, I remember what club I was in when he came and got me. I remember what drug I was addicted to when he came and found me. I remember, you remember the divorce you were going through when he came and he found you. You, you remember the thing you struggled with that you couldn't get free from. Talk to us, Paul. The thing that I do is not the thing that I want to do. Who will save me from this sinful self of mine? It's only Jesus who causes me to triumph. And if it was Jesus then, it's Jesus now. If it was Jesus for her, it's Jesus for me. If it was Jesus for them, it's Jesus for you. If there's anybody in this room that feels the same, would you take one moment and lift your hands to the Lord? Would you open up your mouth? Tell him how thankful you are that he found you when he did. And let's worship him today. Hallelujah. freshman in college, all he knew is that God had put me on his heart and he prayed for me all through the night, crying, which is very unlike the nature of my dad. He expressed to me his concern as a father because in his spirit, he knew I was just far from God in that moment. It's two years later that I made the decision that changed everything, to go all in whatever God has. The song that we just sang a moment ago said that my future is in your hands. My problem back in 04 was that my future was in my hands. But the moment I made a transfer, things became clearer, 
And I found a peace that money cannot buy. And I believe in this moment, in this room, or City First Anywhere, that someone is about to make a decision to put your future in the right hands. City First, so many of us have prayed that prayer. We know what it means. And because of that, I'm going to ask you to pray this simple prayer out loud because it's never God's desire that anyone would feel left out. So with some volume today, let's just pray. Jesus, I need you. I've tried on my own and I've failed. But today, I hand you my sin. I receive your forgiveness. I hand you my life. I receive your love. Be Lord of my life and King of my heart. Today and every day to come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God one more big praise today.